I've been following the work of our next guest today for a long time. Our guest today is Jeff Gomez. He is the CEO of Starlight Runner Entertainment. They are the world's leading producer of transmedia entertainment franchises. What does that mean? Transmedia is actually following uh, an individual character as they jump kind of from the big screen to the little screen, from streaming to comic books, from comic books to book books, uh, and so on. And how do you maintain the integrity of all of that narrative uh, as, as you move across? Jeff has worked on some of the biggest brands and the biggest names you could possibly think of, Pirates of the Caribbean, Transformers, James Cameron's Avatar, and so on. And he is a pioneer in this space. So we're excited to to dive in and talk about those movie properties and what that actually means for the characters overall. But one of the things that we're exceptionally excited about today is that Jeff is advancing a new model, a new model of storytelling known as the collective journey. So if you're familiar with storytelling, if you're familiar with the fundamentals, the collective journey is so disruptive to this work um, because the fundamentals teach us that, you know, it's sort of like this, this Joseph Campbell heroes uh, archetype where an individual protagonist is called on an epic quest and they follow all of these kind of touchstones and then come back with some form of knowledge and the collective journey does away with this model and says, you know, let's look at, multiple characters from multiple vantage points traveling on multiple paths and bringing together their collective wisdom and knowledge. The second thing that uh, Jeff gets into that this really disrupt is, you know, if, if you've ever taken storytelling 101, and I certainly taught this myself, you know, conflict is at the core of a story. You don't have an interesting story unless you have an interesting conflict. And Jeff says, no, 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 we can actually focus our stories on resolution. We can focus our stories on solution. We can focus our stories on common problem solving. And so I want to hear how that plays out. Um, but I, I feel like what, what is most exciting about all of this isn't just that he's disrupting sort of the, the common foundations of the storytelling as a whole, but also that he's implementing this in the real world. So we're not just talking about um, how this applies to some of the big brands and sweeping universes that we're talking about, but we're talking about how this applies in the real world to social change itself. So um, buckle up dive in. I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic and we're going to jump in with Jeff's story right from the top. Thanks much. Jeff, thank you so much for joining Josh and I today. Absolutely. My pleasure. We uh, have a number of things where you're looking forward to diving into. Um, I always like to get going with uh, personal background. And so starting from the very beginning, um, born and raised in Queens, Actually, um, uh, I was born on uh, Staten Island. Uh, my mom uh, was very young, and and she was uh, she went to a, a place where very young women who were pregnant and not married <laughs> um, uh, went, <laughs> um, and uh, and I was born there uh, in uh, 1963, and I was uh, immediately given over to foster care. Okay. Um, I spent the, the first uh, few years of my life in foster care. My mom came and got me uh, in, in around uh, uh, somewhere around 65. Okay. Wow. Amazing. So you were raised with, by your biological mom then? I, I, yes, eventually okay. uh, I, I was. Um, but the, um, 
the, what was what was strange and maybe the very first life lesson uh, that I learned was uh, was that there can be a big difference between uh, you know the environments in which you're raised. My foster family was tranquil, uh, a loving, uh, very milk toast, uh, upstate New York uh, types, and um, and when my mom took me. Uh, she brought me into uh, a Puerto Rican household, my dad's uh, family, and they were very brusque and tough and, <laughs> uh, um, you know, um, a lot of Caribbean big. grit. There you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I, I, I was raised in the projects in the Lower East Side. OK, got you. Eventually you went to high school in Queens. I did, yes. Um, uh, after a brief stint at Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan, a science high school, uh, where I, I came to the uh, uh, terrible conclusion that I was not going to be a paleontologist, <laughs> not do the chemistry and could not do the math, uh, I went to John Down High School in, in Flushing, Queens. Got you. Okay. So that was one epiphany, learning that you weren't going to go into paleontology. What we're curious about, uh, growing up, what was a character you most identified with, whether a film figure or a comic book character? Share with us about that. Sure. Um, uh, very early on, um, Godzilla was my guy. Okay. Um, Godzilla abided. Nice. Godzilla persisted. Godzilla uh, uh, could take all that you could dish out at him and somehow like a force of nature, he would proceed. And yet he would defend the world, the very world that fired at him, that, that hurled all these weapons at him. He would get up and, and uh, take on the, 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 the big bad monster and defeat it, and then kind of slink off into the, the sunset. Uh, I really identified with that somehow. <laughs> Amazing. Gosh, yeah, the ultimate hero uh, really resonated with you. Uh, now, you later on, it was uh, it was Gandalf, um, uh, okay. uh, right. you know, who, um, uh, you know, um, uh, again, th there were things that that he had in common, believe it or not, with with Godzilla. He persisted. Mm. He, he was thrown down by that Balrog and came back. You know, um, and and knew fundamentally that something was wrong uh, with this world, and and that that he could reach out to all these different factions and somehow pull them together in the face of these challenges. I found truly inspiring. He also said, "It's what you do with the time you're given," mm. uh, um, uh, which was a, a deeply uh, affecting uh, a line for me. Amazing. Godzilla, Gandalf, and Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real treat. That's fantastic. How old were you, Jeff, when you read Tolkien? Oh, it was the magic uh, age. The magic age. I started The Hobbit at 12. Oh, um, perfect. And, and finished That's great. The, the Lord of the Rings um, uh, just at the end of, uh, of 13 years old. Uh, but I held on to those books real tight uh, for years and years, studying them and restudying them. That's amazing. So the storytelling bug caught you early. And so you knew when you were going to Queens College that it would be film studies, comp lit. You, that's the direction you were heading in. It, it was at, at, at that point. Sure. Sure. Movies just uh, were, were magical to me. Um, uh, you know, I saw them as 
as instruction books to life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and wanting to understand uh, uh, at first, because I was scared of them. I, I was scared of a lot of things when I was uh, mm. a, a kid and learning how movies were made uh, just sucked the fear out of wow. anything that I was looking yeah. at. I love um, that. That's uh, so, so great. Uh, you know, learning how the magic happened was, was uh, vital uh, to yeah. me. Yeah. And um, when you speak of the heroes that you admired, there was a sort of um, doing good in the world aspect, which has become a part of your career. Um, was that something you were active in in your youth? Were you involved in social projects or volunteering? Well, um, I mean, from from when I was a kid, um, you know, unfortunately, at, at a very, very young age, I knew what uh, what violence was like. Mm. Um, I, I'd witnessed it, I'd experienced some of it and uh, and knew that it was just terrible. You know, it doesn't go away uh, yeah. when you go to bed at night. And and so even as a kid in, in my neighborhood, uh, the, the people I was drawn to were, were like the tough guys and, and the guys who, um, uh, who were a little bit different uh, and yet mm -hmm. tough. You, mm -hmm. you, you were those kind of, you know, nerds in leather jackets. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and getting them to stop hitting each other and start cooperating and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that was awesome, you know. So, so making peace and, and, um, and, uh, and unifying uh, people through storytelling was something that I learned uh, uh, fairly young. And, and then uh, being a school teacher and being re-exposed to people who were still in poverty, even though it was the 1980s. I had seen mm -hmm. poverty in the 60s. Not much had changed when I was a teacher uh, uh, in the 80s. Um, meant that, uh, you know, I, I don't know, somehow I needed to do something about it. Wow. That's wow. really great. You had that calling and that mission early on. Love it. Um, your first job out of college was Gateways Magazine. Speaking of Dungeons and Dragons. You do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gateways. Well, uh, so tell us about that experience uh, and, and we'll walk us through that stage of your career up to acclaim. Uh, sure. Well, um, uh, the um, uh, I, I, as a school teacher, I was I was frustrated, um, uh, you know, mm. the, um, in, in any given year, I could um, uh, see uh, one, two, three kids who would be positively impacted by what I did enough to, to kind of leave orbit, um, you know, from Bedford Stuyvesant, in Brooklyn. And, um, and that was frustrating to me. Um, uh, uh, some college friends were uh, publishing a newsletter um, uh, just for fun. They were, they, they had a gaming group and, and after work they'd come uh, play games and they'd publish a newsletter about this progressive type of fantasy role-playing gaming that we used to do. Um, our type of Dungeons and Dragons emphasize storytelling and role play as opposed to the number crunching and mm -hmm. dice shooting that, that a lot of other players uh, engaged in. And we, we just found that so interesting that we wanted to write about it. And uh, after contributing a few articles, uh, the editor of the newsletter, Laura Antonio, asked, invited me to come publish the, the, the newsletter. And I actually left my job as a teacher to figure out how to turn this thing into a magazine. 
This was that golden mm -hmm. moment when desktop computers were vaguely capable of, of laying out entire uh, uh, publications and, um, and, and independent uh, publishing was on the rise. Yes, Aldous PageMaker, perhaps. Ready, set, go, believe it or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. Wow. That definitely is taking us back. Um, so from there, it was to, uh, to Valiant Comics. Um, the, uh, the, the, the magazine uh, did something unusual, Gateways. Uh, it admired uh, game creators as artists. We mm -hmm. actually appreciated the design sensibility that went into not just uh, tabletop Dungeons and Dragons type games, but video, early video games. And um, uh, those people um, uh, loved the fact that we covered them and, and, and looked at them as artists. And eventually they invited me to, uh, uh, to, to write games, um, uh, tabletop mm -hmm. games. And, um, and I did, but it wasn't paying the rent. Um, okay. And, and so, uh, so after that, I, I took a job at uh, Valiant Comics, uh, which had, at the time was the third most popular uh, comic book company after Marvel and DC. Nice. No, fantastic. Oh, wow. Which that eventually parlayed into a role at Acclaim. And I, I'd love for you to talk about this because it felt like this was a platform where you began to look at comic books as source material for entertainment fair. Sure, sure. Um, Acclaim Entertainment was a video game company um, uh, based out in Glen Cove, Long Island. They had had the Marvel license. So they were making Marvel mm -hmm. comics, Marvel superhero video games, and then they lost it. So they were looking for a, a, uh, a superhero universe uh, to, to make games out of. And so they purchased the Valiant, uh, uh, Valiant Comics Company. Um, uh, because of my familiarity with game design, game theory, and, and video games, um, I, I guess I, I became handy. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and helped uh, the comic book company kind of bridge the gap uh, and adapt the um, uh, the superhero characters into uh, video games like Turok Dinosaur Hunter, uh, mm -hmm. which was a real popular Nintendo 64 game that I was involved with, and uh, Magic the Gathering, a license that I'd secured from my friends uh, at Wizards of the Coast. Um, uh, and that, that trading card game was popular, and I brought it to Acclaim to make comic books and uh, video games out of now, you're right. That was a crucial time for me because um, I loved uh, uh, things like Japanese media mix, the notion of a, an intellectual property that behaved in concert across multiple platforms, you know, sort of told different stories about a singular story world or a singular character across different media. Um, so surreptitiously, I, I did not have permission to do this, <laughs> um, but, but surreptitiously, I, I started to do this with the Turok character and with, uh, with the Magic the Gathering character, including um, uh, taking all the lore that I couldn't fit into the comic books and video games and putting them on a website. That was brand new. Nobody had, had done that before. Um, a, a, an intern set up the website. It's, it's 92, 93, 94. And, yeah. um, and, and the, the servers kept crashing uh, because they were so popular. Um, <laughs> wow. So th this, um, this made me 
uh, noticed. Uh, and, um, and this technique that I was doing, uh, which was a kind of cross-platform storytelling, or, or as I put it, trans-media storytelling, um, uh, it became something that I thought uh, the world was going to need. Um, right. So that, that's where I set up uh, Starlight Runner in 2000 and, and started my own company. That's fantastic. Um, and the decision to start it under your own brand, you were maybe getting the right support that uh, you needed or you just felt like, you know what, I have my own ideas around this. I'm just going to do it on my own. The, the, the Turok uh, shipped uh, its first um, its first week ninety million dollars. <laughs> Magic the Gathering uh, was the number one comic book for months and months and months. Um, I was being paid a salary. <laughs> yep, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I get it. Right, but, I get um, it. If you're That's a great reason to start your own company. <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell us about the inspiration of the name, because it's a great name, Starlight Runner. <laughs> Most people think it's a Broadway show. <laughs> uh, I knew right away that, um, that I was a New Yorker and, and didn't necessarily want to relocate to Los Angeles. <laughs> um, uh, so... Uh, I, uh, the name uh, was indicative of the fact that that if you were calling me at the end of your business day in Hollywood, uh, that I was going to pick up the phone at eight o'clock at night in New York. <laughs> um, uh, we we were here. We're, we're your friends. Um, yeah. And I used to talk about the fact that that friendship meant a lot to me and, and that if someone called, you, you came running. Um, yeah. Uh, and that was the name. That's, that's fantastic. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And uh, now that we're at the uh, transmedia portion, I'm going to hand this over to Josh. Excellent. Thanks, Asim. See, thank I you. told you, I warned you. I warned you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but thank you. And, and, and I, I also love the, the, the threads of like, you realized you weren't going to be a paleontologist, but you created Tarak's, uh, you know, entire world. I love it. I love it. Waste not, what not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, I, you, you've already outlined sort of part of, you know, it, you're recognized as, as a pioneer in this transmedia space and in this field. But I'm wondering if we can take like a slight step back um, and kind of provide like a, an operational definition, if you will, for like what transmedia is, because I feel like it means so much, so much to so many people and, and the field itself, if I understand correctly, has really sort of evolved um, and, and, and grown so much as media platforms have grown. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, in, in today's uh, interconnected world, uh, our attention flows uh, from one media platform to the next. Uh, there's almost no uh, dividing line uh, between them. Um, I realized fairly early on that this was going to happen and, and, uh, and found the technique of simply repeating the same story uh, on different media platforms, that was going to get tiresome. Um, mm. uh, when when, when uh, so much content is going to become available to people, why would they want to hear and, and relive the same exact story over and over again, watch the movie, play the video game, read the novel? Um, 
the, um, the, the way that the, the Japanese were doing it uh, that, that I loved was that we learned something different about the character depending on, on what, what we were watching or experiencing. Right. Um, if we were playing a game, why would the character be in the same uh, environment as, as uh, she was in the comic book or, or in the TV series? She was going to go someplace different in that game. And I, I thought that was really interesting because we would learn more about the story world and more about the character. So my, my thought was, is there a technique for developing stories and developing intellectual property so mm-hmm. that it can um, uh, operate in concert across multiple media platforms? And can that be done artfully um, so that you can have something that's beautiful and elegant and interesting and engaging? And can there be the ultimate thing was the architecture for dialogue and uh, can the audience participate in this narrative somehow by talking about it and, and having that discussion considered by the storyteller? Can the audience create fiction fanfic? Can the audience generate content on YouTube? Um, uh, that to me um, is an intrinsic aspect of, of transmedia storytelling. So that's the that's the impetus. That's the philosophy that went into the formation of Starlight Runner. That's fantastic, and it, it incentivizes somebody to follow it across platforms too. To, if you if you're in love with this character, whether it's Turok or, or a character from Magic the Gathering or whomever, you're going to go to oh the new website that has aspects of it, or you know um, some some product tie-in where I get a, a a comic book to follow it. So that's I, I love it. It's brilliant. Where where it seems like you really evolved the theory is is and knocked it out of the park was with like you know, everything that you did around Pirates of the Caribbean and Transformers, those were massive campaigns. And I'm wondering if you could speak to Starlight Runner's role in that um, and and how you really just like envisioned this. Um, I think your your term for it is metaverse, if I'm using that correct, right? <laughs> um, well, and, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, uh, the... Um, the, the notion of transmedia storytelling is lovely, but when uh, a, a company like Disney comes to you and says, well, <laughs> we, need to, we need to coordinate all creative around Pirates of the Caribbean in such a way that it's consistent and high quality, um, uh, how, how are you going to do that? There, there actually needs to be a business model and a, 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 a methodology, a corporate methodology to allow for this level of coordination worldwide. The Disney is a, a global company. They were creating comic books in Italy. They were creating theme parks in, uh, uh, you know, in Asia. And, um, and, and they were publishing books in New York. So, so there was no uh, interconnectivity within the company in terms of the consistency of the quality of Pirates of the Caribbean, who Jack Sparrow was and how he would behave under any given circumstance, there was no tool set uh, uh, to do that. Um, So so what you're left with is a bunch of of people guessing. uh, And and, and, true, and and they would guess poorly, uh, uh, we discovered, (laughs) (laughs) you know. 
So, so, um, uh, so the Pirates of the Caribbean was a fantastic case study for us because it allowed us, we were granted permission to navigate the entire Disney company worldwide and to create um, a, a resource kit, um, a tool set by which um, everyone can be literally on the same page uh, right, with, right. with this Pirates universe, understand it a bit more and, uh, and, and create content that was of a piece with it. Mm. Whether you're creating comics or novels or even Pirates Night on the Disney Cruise Lines. Oh, wow. 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 And so you guys, you guys actually created that toolkit internally for everybody to sort of navigate this, this story space. Um, it, was, and, uh, it was dubbed the Pirates Mythology. Uh, okay. It was a, a <laughs> massive 300-page tome, 11 by 17. Wow. Beautiful wow. Uh, book. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so as, as things that, you know, I mean, this was somewhat pre like MCU explosion, right? Where the industry, long before where, that, long where the indi- and, and now the industry thinks in terms of like universe, right? So it's like everything we're going to, we're going to create a, 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 you know, decade long series of films and everything's going to be tied in. So how has that changed your role and how has your role and Starlight Runner evolved in that space to kind of, because now it's it's probably like a 900 page book, right? Like, like where do you go from there? Well, in, in the case of Disney, um, we were training wheels and they could take the training wheels off. <laughs> they were right. like, okay, we got this now. Right. <laughs> they did it a few times. With them and, and, um, and they started to compare uh, this methodology, this transmedia uh, approach versus what they were doing without taking this approach. Uh, for example, uh, John Carter. Um, uh, that was a, a property that did not uh, utilize any of this uh, uh, transmedia approach. And it was, it just failed terribly, you know? Right. Um, uh, so, um, so they, 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 they decided to make this an aspect of their culture. And, um, and when they acquired Marvel and when they acquired uh, Lucasfilm, um, they promoted this kind of, uh, of transmedia, uh, you know, shared universe approach. So in, in some ways, you know, the, we, we did a little bit to um, uh, adjust some thinking uh, yeah. about it. And really all we were doing was being the voices of fans, uh, of people who yeah. loved the universes and wanted integrity. That's yeah, that's absolutely. And do you feel like what, what were some of the most valuable lessons that you learned through these processes as, as the process became more iterative and, you know, the, the, and also more complicated. Um, You're, you're, uh, you're starting to point toward the, uh, the geopolitical stuff. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that's where we're headed. <laughs> because that's what we learned. Um, what 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 we learned was um, that that um, it's not when it comes to working with powerful narratives. It, it isn't necessarily my job to assert my story on you. Mm. Uh, I'm a producer. I'm, I'm a member of the Producers Guild of America. I am here to amplify the, the, the important messages and aspirational messages in the story that you have to tell. Mm. So that means I have to listen to you. 
That right. means I have to discern what, what those uh, fundamental messages are. Um, the archetypes, the aspirational drivers of your story or your story world. Um, so the, the, the true lesson that, that we got, that we took out of all of these Hollywood experiences is to trust the visionary with, with regard to their uh, artistic ability to tell the story, but also to draw from the visionary uh, similar to the beginning of this conversation where you made me confess a few things. <laughs> uh, and, and, um, and just to, you know, um, uh, crystallize these fundamental messages, this value set, this instruction book, because that mm. to me is what story truly is. Um, mm. uh, it is going to teach us how to um, uh, shift our perspective about life so that perhaps we can be a little bit more successful at it, uh, at living, at loving, at earning money, at making the world a better place. Um, uh, to crystallize that, to yeah. crystallize that in these uh, Hollywood uh, productions or in video games or comic books or, or anything that we were working on uh, uh, became just um, uh, a, a methodology that actually helped us later on to be able to look at real world problems and do the same thing. I love it. I love it. So, great. so when, when, when you began working sort of with this U S special operations command and stuff, and, and if I'm leapfrogging and you want to, you want to hit a few other touch points, were, were, did they approach you? Did you approach them and say, hey, look what we figured out? Like, how, how did that relationship get started? And how did you begin to transition into that space? Um, you know, um, I, I, this is a lesson for all you writers out there um, listening to this. <laughs> um, you know, I was so excited uh, about what I was doing that I didn't want to kind of keep corporate secrets. I, I wanted to teach the world about transmedia storytelling. And, and I would often associate the word power, the power of transmedia storytelling mm. um, uh, and, um, uh, and the effectiveness uh, spoke for itself because after Pirates of the Caribbean, I got to work with James Cameron on Avatar worked on Transformers with Hasbro, um, uh, you know, all these incredible uh, properties, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with, with uh, Nickelodeon. Um, and I would talk about uh, toward the end of any given seminar and sometimes in essays that I would publish on, online, um, I would say, you know, um, uh, this sort of thing um, uh, can be used to, uh, uh, to excite people and get them to uh, improve their own lives, uh, uh, get them to, uh, to behave a little bit uh, more nicely to one another. <laughs> you know, I, I had seen the fellowship of fandom. <clears throat> you know, when we have something in common, we love each other. You know, we can bicker, but but we we both love the same thing. So um, uh, so that's a that's a plus in my book. And um, initially, uh, the Aspen Institute uh, reached out to me okay. and said, hey, can you talk to us a little bit about this, uh, you know, this methodology of yours? Because there might be applications in in uh, uh, social and geopolitical uh, uh, situations. And, um, and so I taught there at, at the Aspen Institute 
And then one day I got a call from the Department of Defense. <laughs> um, it was uh, uh, Obama had had been brand new, and um, and they were reviewing uh, some materials that were sent to them uh, from the Aspen Institute, and they wanted to know what this transmedia uh, was all about, yeah. and whether it could be used in warfare. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Oh. Okay. Amazing. Um, to which I said, I, I, n- well, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and sincerely, uh, a, a transmedia used in the theater of, of battle is not transmedia because transmedia is defined by the architecture for dialogue, authentic uh, exchange yes, right. of ideas. I love you that. You have to remove that. You have to remove that in order for it to be weaponized. And then you have either super propaganda or this thing I call multilateral narrative. Well, you, yeah. And you look at, you look at like what, what's happened with the troll farms in Russia, um, what's happened around like, you know, the, the, this most recent elections and you're, you're talking about the Obama administration. So this was, this was very prescient, you know, but, but um, you know, like the, the, all, all of the, the weaponizing, of narrative. Um, so it's, it's very exciting to hear from somebody who's like, nope, and, you know, you're neither studying the weaponization of narrative or kind of influencing it. You're saying there's, there's another way. Well, <laughs> I, I was, uh, t- to be honest, I, I was observing the weaponization of narrative in, mm-hmm. in Russia, uh, in the aughts. Uh, right. Uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, um, his hold on on the population because of the um, economic situation in, in Russia, it was bad, and um, and so um, uh, one of the ways that uh, he um, uh, reasserted his authority was to create um, uh, these um, uh, these these narratives, which a lot of them had nothing to do with reality. Uh, he, he he created the artificial perception that that there were uh, bad actors in in, right. uh, in Russia, and um, uh, uh, he vilified uh, certain minorities in, in uh, Russia. Um, uh, you know, at first, uh, the population thought that it was uh, ludicrous, mm-hmm. uh, clown-like. They they would use that term. Yeah. He's like yeah. a clown. It's obviously he's lying. Um, and um, and then uh, it, it would only increase. So so right. from morning to noon to evening, there would be completely different uh, narratives. They would contradict right. themselves. Right. Right. Um, uh, and and it would spark arguments because there would become a faction of people who would believe what mm. they're being told, and and others who didn't. And uh, and polarization uh, occurred. And um, and the the only difference frankly, be, between Russia and the United States was, you know, uh, every four years we have an election. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds vaguely familiar. I've heard some of this before. I'm not sure where. Yeah. <laughs> he kept it up for years and years and years, exhausting yeah. uh, his population. And, and ultimately, you give up. You're like, look, you, you take care. You manage. Yeah. You, know, uh, you manage. And and that's what you know. You 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 know the results. Um, yeah. so that was a big concern for me, and I, I started talking about it 
very early on. If you look at my TED talk, okay. like 2011 or, or, or so, 2010, 2011, I was referring to, to this uh, uh, situation. Um, but the, um, the administration didn't understand that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, but they did allow me to work with us, uh, SOCOM and, um, uh, and, and, uh, assist with, uh, population activation internationally. Uh, and that was, a a, a, you know, an amazing, amazing experience. That's fantastic. Can you, can you elaborate on that experience or share with us and, and our audience, whatever you can about what that actually looked like and how, how that, uh, translated on the ground? Uh, well, um, initially, um, the, uh, uh, the, the seminars and teachings and consultation that I provided uh, to the DOD was used in Afghanistan um, uh, to uh, uh, convince uh, uh, local Afghanis uh, who were out in the, out in the desert to uh, host uh, American soldiers who became lost, um, mm-hmm. or who, who were not, you know, um, separated from from their people and, and so forth, and protect them. There was a Mark Wahlberg uh, film that actually uh, uh, dramatized uh, one, oh, wow. one such incident okay. as a result of this program. Um, uh, so wow. uh, that was cool, and and so as a pilot program that worked. And then we were asked uh, if if it would if I thought it was possible to do this program on a national level um, uh, in order to help the uh, Mexican people um, uh, reassert themselves as a population to bring the violence of the the cartel and, and government <laughs> conflict uh, under some kind of control. Uh, it had gone way out of control. There were the death toll was astronomical. It was truly horrific. And uh, and I said, of course, let's try. Let's try it. And um, uh, there was a, a commission. I worked with uh, uh, several government and, and uh, non-government organizations. And um, uh, and we devised something that I call uh, a transmedia population activation. Um, uh, which essentially is um, uh, the ability to diagnose why an entire population has allowed itself to go so astray that 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 this uh, it, uh, something cancerous has mis- metastasized, whether that's extremism or corruption or right. Right. violence, crime, uh, things like that. So to diagnose where that's coming from. And um, and then to prescribe story, um, uh, a, a multi-platform narrative, transmedia story. The transmedia in this case is unified by themes that are devised uh, uh, out of the the cultural value system, the mythology of the country. Right. So I, I told uh, uh, the U.S. government every time we've attempted to assert our narrative on another country in order to get it to change its behavior, terrible things happen. (laughs) Um, if If we tap into their cultural origins, into the foundational value systems of their people, their myths, their, uh, not their religion, by the way, these are, these are myths. They predate religion by thousands of years. 
Um, uh, So we're tapping that stuff. And and what it does is it infuses pride and and a commonality of values into an entire population. Um, So let me try that. (laughs) Yes, And uh, we did. They did, and we and and we did this in uh, Mexico. Wow, wow, and Fantastic. and and what was uh, what was the outcome? Can you can you place some of that out for us? <clears throat> um, well, uh, this was the first time uh, we had we had done sh- such a thing, and remember, um, uh, the the design is is not. Um, your, your standard hero's journey narrative. It, it's, it's not just say no to drugs. Yeah. <laughs> not the war against uh, the yeah. cartels. Yes. You know, that's a good way to get a lot of people killed. Um, yes. uh, the, um, uh, uh, the discovery that we made, which was priceless and, and has been applied to uh, uh, every other population activation we've done since, um, is that um, uh, the the, uh, the those initial value systems that mythology um, it it gets banged up um, uh, it becomes warped damaged uh, through trauma um, and that trauma is usually asserted uh, by some exterior force. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, the colonizers of, of Mexico, people who came from overseas right away where we're, we're seeing slavery, we're seeing hmm. war and, and violence. Um, and, um, and then it, it just, you know, corruption, all, all these things. So, uh, that trauma is inherited. It, it passes down through generations. We've even discovered scientifically that our, our, our genetic, yes. our DNA yes carries uh, trauma uh, yes. with it. Um, uh, I believe we're seeing this in, in, in teenagers who were born in the years after uh, 9-11 in, in uh, the United States. Um, uh, but anyway, the, um, uh, so, so the response uh, to it is to, um, is to get um, uh, a, a community of interest together. Uh, they can be television networks, they can be uh, magazine publishers. They can be uh, the academics at colleges. They can be uh, people who bottle Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a big community. And, um, and we parse out story uh, uh, to them. Here's, here's the essence of the story you need to tell. Yes. And we saw bits of those stories woven into telenovelas and into radio shows, and into the sermons in churches. Oh, fantastic. It was really, really uh, remarkable. Wow. Um, uh, In in Mexico, the the one unfortunate uh, thing that happened was they allowed an ad agency to to go first. When you do Mm. these activations, you have to be very careful um, with, with coordinating uh, your your orchestra and 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 the orchestra must operate in concert. Um, in the case of Mexico, the ad agency was allowed to go first against our advice, and um, and the appeal that that ad agency made was to women, um, and the appeal was very very effective, and um, uh, and so women stood up first. 
when, when you want a population to assert change, they have to all stand up together. They have to. They have to spontaneously self-organize into a massive social system that says, we've had enough. If you have just a few people stand up and say, we have enough, unfortunately, it's deadly. And, and that was one of the, 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 the darkest experiences of, of my career. Um, uh, I really, really was, you know, uh, floored by it and, and thought about not doing it anymore because there were women were killed um, uh, who, who made that stand. Um, but, um, but look, you know, in the long run, that angered the population even more. And with this infusion of narrative across all these different media, they did uh, uh, spontaneously organize as a result and pushed back really hard. And for some years, uh, that death toll dropped off steadily. The organized crime requires uh, cooperation. So, so if the population all at once says, look, I'm not going to cooperate with you. We've had enough. Organized crime goes, oh, okay. You know, they, mm-hmm. they actually back off a little bit yeah. you know? and, and, and it, it chills um, a, a bit. And that was, um, that's what, what happened. And the results of that are what drew worldwide attention to this methodology and allowed us to work in Colombia in Australia in Canada um, and elsewhere in the world. So remarkable. Could you actually elaborate on so that that's thank you so much, Jeff, for for sharing that with us and both uh, the setbacks and the challenges and um, your own personal struggle with that. that entire model evolved into this concept of collective journey. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering if you can share with us and with our audience what that concept is, um, what that actually looks like. And, you know, again, going from that initial kind of proto example to where we are now and some of the other things that, you know, it's been iterated too. Um, if you could sure. share that with us. Uh, terrific. Uh, sure. Well, look, you, you know, um, even when I was young, um, I, uh, and, and enjoying, uh, my, my favorite, uh, uh, movies and cartoons and, and TV shows, um, when, uh, the hero had to fight when, when, uh, when there were, um, uh, you know, conflicts where uh, physical and psychological brutality had to be exerted. I, I you know, it, it bothered me because mm. I really knew what that felt like, you know, so it's, you know, it's like a jolt that, that I take. And, and so the question I've asked myself since I was young about story is, it actually flies in the face of, of Robert McKee and all these people who teach uh, uh, screenwriting and, and storytelling, which is the need for as intense an amount of conflict as possible. Um, conflict, conflict, conflict. And, and, um, uh, and, and I thought to myself, is there some other way? Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's exciting to watch a lightsaber duel. <laughs> what's the deal? You know, right. is, there, is there another way? Um, uh, and um, 
the the um, observations that I was making in uh, places like Mexico and Colombia was that when we uh, and Australia, by the way, when we delved back far enough um, into the indigenous uh, narrative uh, and indigenous culture, those people um, uh, survival was was a vital. And resources were not so scarce that that they had to constantly uh, be at odds with with one another. So um, uh, so for quite uh, an amount of time, a lot of those people lived in in relative harmony. And the methodologies that they used to reconcile uh, conflicts and to to deal with each other in an ongoing basis were fascinating to me because it involved interconnectivity between um, uh, many people and the ability to deconstruct perception so that uh, they could reach and achieve commonality and unite. Um, So that even if there was a situation where I I accidentally killed your brother-in-law <laughs> or, you know, uh, 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 or there were resource issues and, and so forth. They had a way of resolving it in such a way that they then could stick together and, and be together. Um, uh, so um, this, uh, it felt to me as if this either predated or was a corollary to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey uh, a cycle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just to um, uh, to reiterate that cycle very briefly, <laughs> um, uh, that 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 cycle comes from the, you know essentially the Stone Age where where we we lived in caves. Um, uh, everything outside the cave was extremely dangerous, <laughs> and, and yet life <laughs> existed outside that cave. We had to get, go out there to get fire, to get food to get other people so we could propagate our species. Um, uh, And so um, it was scary. We would hesitate, right? The refusal of the call. Then some old dude would say, hey, here's what you gotta do, right? (laughs) Um, And and then we went out and and then we killed everything in our path (laughs) until we got what we needed, right? And we brought it home. Uh, and and gave it to the community and saved the day, right? So that's yes, right. you could see that in every story ever told, right? right. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and that's um, that's hardwired into our minds. The eternal return, I uh, yes. call it, uh, Eliade. Um, uh, so um, uh, the the problem uh, that I had since I was young with the hero's journey is. Um, uh, if I'm that dude, I am asserting my right on your wrong, you know, um, in order to get, get around, to get back home. Um, and, um, and often that was with, uh, some kind of brutality. Um, so when, when I started to see the rise of, of the internet, I'm not talking about social media. I'm talking about uh, uh, comic book forums mm. <laughs> on America Online, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> where where because of the anonymity, 
you could say anything you damn please. Right. And, um, uh, and, and so I would see these ridiculously horrific fights um, uh, between fans of one thing or another thing, or, you know, they'd have a difference and it would fly off the chain. Right. Um, and I said, this is going to be a problem, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and of course now, what, what happened is the, the, the beautiful thing is just about, you, you know, half the planet now has a voice, you know, where, where we had none, right? right. Uh, up until very recently, the power elite formed our reality for us, right? They own the media. They, they uh, the, the, the leadership and the wealthy asserted their their reality upon us and we had to kind of go along with it and that's fine. Um, but, uh, but now all of us have, have a voice. We could speak truth to power. Um, uh, so th- to a degree that's nice because it, it enables people who have been voiceless from time immemorial to have a voice. That's tremendous. That's Arab spring. That's, you know, yeah. a, a lot of uh, uh, positive things happen. Um, but also, um, uh, we are also starting to assert our right on everybody else's wrong. Um, and, and when everybody is doing that, you have chaos, you're, you're, you're going to have a, uh, a, a, a big problem. Um, and of course we ran into that, didn't we? (laughs) At first. (laughs) So, so, um, uh, for me, um, uh, what, what collective journey is, is our, our ability to move away from the circle and, and, and step back far enough so that we can see the entire system and how, um, every person or every character, if you're telling a story has their own truth, their own reality, their own perceptions and their own desires and they're, they're broadcasting them, right? Problem uh, in, in a collective journey narrative, the problem is that these systems tend to be flawed. Um, and, and some of them are so flawed that if we don't do something about it, um, we are going to be destroyed, right? It's self-terminated. Um, so uh, uh, to me, a, a wonderful model is what if uh, all those little lights, all those little characters or, or people, some of whom are benefiting from this flawed system, by the way, they're making a lot of money, they've gained a lot of power. Um, so they want the, the system to stay this way as long as possible, right? Um, uh, but uh, what if uh, the, the adventure, the story was that some, some of these people, it could start with one, but ultimately becomes a community of people attempt to uh, reconcile with one another and resolve these conflicts from, from multiple directions. And, um, and in doing so, could theoretically make repairs to the system, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and... and in, in doing so, yes, you are in conflict with some people who either aren't aware that the system is flawed or are benefiting from the flawed system um, or, or who work for the people who are benefiting mm-hmm. the flawed system. And then you have real conflict. Then it's an adventure. Then you're, you're, you're tangling uh, with uh, antagonists. 
but um, uh, a, a great collective journey ultimately is about reconciliation. It's not necessarily about killing all those other people and, and saving the day. It's about actually altering uh, the, the system itself. So if we look at Orange is the New Black, uh, that's a wonderful collective journey narrative. It, it tricks you into thinking it's a hero's journey because this pretty blonde girl is, is going to jail and it's all scary and, and so forth. But ultimately, we get to understand that, that all of these characters, including the wardens and the bullies and, and the true, you know, nasty criminals, all have their own stories, their own narratives, all represent some piece of this complex system and ultimately um, uh, in, in some small way do reconcile and, and the series concludes with uh, an incredible, uh, hopeful, you know, series of, of strokes. I love it. I love it. That's, that's a brilliant example. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. I was thinking, you know, there's there's uh, uh, some parallel debates um, that I've been hearing in, in terms of like this meta narrative of the rugged individualist in America. And so it's playing out, you know, we've had the past year has been one succession of crises after another. Right. Um, but with COVID as the big bad. <laughs> right. And, and what 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 I've been seeing in this debate is sort of, no, we all have to become preppers. We all have to look out for our own our own we all have to like you know basically you know it's 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 all about the individual protection of the the single family unit um versus right like this this sort of mutual aid response of how does the community gather together and advance a solution and i i feel like one of the things one of your gifts jeff um that that you're giving the world quite frankly is is the idea of like a, a collective narrative that looks beyond just the individual looks beyond the 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 kind of uh, uh hero's myth sort of cycle where we're each the protagonist in our own narrative you know um and and damn everybody else <laughs> um and and looks to to reconciliation i think that such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I started with a question. I kind of got into some praise and got into momentum and <laughs> lost track. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I want to uh, commend you for for all of that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Um, to well, it's some, um, you know, a, a couple of accusations have been that um, that a collective journey modality is. Uh, is boring <laughs> or, or um, you know, because of, of the, it diffuses the conflict, you know, that's, that's something I've been accused of <laughs> um, or that it, um, uh, uh, th that it uh, could allow for um, uh, false narratives to proliferate. So, so some people are saying, well, collective journey, you know, isn't that uh, QAnon and, and so mm. forth. And, and um, my response, by the way, is, yeah, um, you know, uh, when you remove authenticity uh, from the model, uh, there's there's QAnon. That's so so you better end that story in a different way because QAnon is self-terminating. <laughs> you know? yeah, awesome. um, uh, so you know there there's there's all that um but but overall uh, uh josh and and uh, you know i have lived long enough 
to see uh, things improve, to, to see the difference in, in how people are, are living, to see that, that things in so many ways have gotten better. Um, uh, so that's why I have a, a tiny bit of faith left <laughs> um, yeah. that, um, that these modalities and, you, you know, can, can allow for the rugged individualists and the, the people who care about everyone um, uh, to, to find uh, 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 fundamental values, foundational values in common with one another that can allow for us as human beings to get shit done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. It. That's it. So well said. Awesome. What an amazing conversation. I, yeah, I feel like we've been on a journey together. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Thank you for uh, allowing us to ride along. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, Jeff, is there anything for, for our listeners, um, you know, uh, anything you want to share of how they can get in touch with you, how they can, you know, follow your work, um, how they can learn more about the collective journey and, and Starlight Runner and everything that you guys are doing? Sure, uh, sure. Um, the, uh, uh, now uh, I'm way behind in completing my writings on collective journey, but I promise I, I'm going to, uh, to get that done this year. Uh, but it's blog.collectivejourney.com. Uh, you can read the series, uh, thus far. It's not done. Um, uh, there's plenty more to, to discuss with it, including the specifics of the model. There is an actual story model. Uh, uh, similar to the 18 steps of the hero's journey, uh, there's an equivalent uh, uh, kind of system in collective journey. So, so there's that. Uh, you can reach me uh, on on Twitter at Jeff underscore uh, Gomez. Um, uh, uh, Starlightrunner.com is is uh, my company's website. But also, by the way, uh, uh, during the pen, I, I actually do a little bit of coaching. <laughs> and I used to do it with executives who were involved in the entertainment industry. Um, uh, but um, uh, during the pandemic, uh, I've taken a little bit of extra time and will talk to uh, uh, writers, professional writers or aspiring writers, anyone who wants to level up in, in, uh, in their uh, creative uh, capabilities. And that's called Starlight Runner Life Story um, because I, I use a narrative-based yeah. approach yeah. Uh, to help you. And you could just reach out to me to learn more about that, uh, that coaching service as well. That's fantastic. Thank fantastic. you very much. Jeff, what an exquisite conversation. That hour flew by. and oh uh, <laughs> That's high praise coming from the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> no this is a real treat for us and for our audience i'm sure absolutely yeah. and I, I i as we were talking i have about 50 million people that i want to connect with you in various capacities including um you know I, we didn't we didn't share this you know in the in the story but my my background is actually as a, a recovering social worker um and, and uh you know i i spent um i i actually started my storytelling career, my storytelling for social change career, uh, working for a violence prevention initiative um, that has gone global in the last 
couple of years. Um, and so there's a bunch of people there that I, I think could benefit from, you know, it's, it's you, you guys, you, you were, you were at Aspen Institute. They've been featured at Aspen Institute, but you guys are like ships in the night. So sure. I, I, as you were talking, I'm like, Oh, why didn't I think of that in, in the first place? Um, but I'd love to provide some, some introductions and some follow-up. Uh, Cause I think, you know, so I was actually sharing this with a scene cause I'm kind of on a, on and off on a, a national journey um, connecting with uh, a lot of um, uh, local groups that are doing community-based uh, violence prevention initiatives. Sure. And, um, and, and what's interesting is a core part of their model is norm change, but it's yeah. all conventional public education materials mm -hmm. or communications channels. And so I, I see there's, there's definitely some opportunity for overlap here um, and for you guys to connect and to work together. Well, I'd be uh, glad to talk to them. Fantastic. Fantastic. Sure. Awesome. So this is, yeah, as, as Asim said, this has been a treat. This is every expectation that I had. And I, I really had a did. lot of expectations. Well, guys, <laughs> let me tell you something. It's all in the questions. <laughs> I don't get to You're talk right. about this stuff very often. So I, it, it was a real pleasure uh, that, that you studied as much as you did. <laughs> very, very kind of you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, be safe in the snow and be safe with COVID. Have a lovely weekend and uh, look forward to an ongoing conversation. I yes, just feel like, um, uh, you know, uh, every so often you can call me on if, if there's an issue that needs. Uh, that would be lovely. That's a great that. invitation. Thank Absolutely. you for that. Your Good willingness job. there is, is awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Well, can you give some advance notice for when this will go up so I can. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Take good care. Right. Thanks Bye. again. You guys are great. Bye. Bye. See you, Josh. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Josh Grenowitz. I'm your host, along with Asim Geary. Story Matters would like to thank Achieve, Asim's regular podcast, for providing the platform to Story Matters Season 2. We'd also like to thank Jocelyn Salmaran, our extraordinary producer, for all of her research and reporting chops, without which none of these episodes would be possible. Solomon Collins for his editing expertise in making me sound smarter than I actually am. No small feat. And the impetus and Kitty Overton, our advising producer and the impetus behind the original concept for Story Matters. We'd also like to thank Yasha Hoffman for generously providing our intro outro music from his song Roots off of the album The Weather, which you can hear in its entirety on our website, along with show notes for every episode at storymatters.site. Okay, take two. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Josh Grenowitz. I'm your host, along with Asim Gary. Story Matters would like to thank Achieve, Asim's regular podcast, for providing a platform to Story Matters Season 1. Thanks to Jocelyn Salmaran, our extraordinary producer, without which none of these episodes would be possible. Solomon Collins for his editing expertise and making me sound smarter than I actually am. No small feat there. And Kitty Overton, our advising producer and the impetus behind the original Story Matters concept. Story Matters would also like to thank Yasha Hoffman 
for generously providing our intro-outro music from his song Roots off of his album The Weather, which you can hear on our website in its entirety, along with show notes for every episode at storymatters.site. Take three. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Grenowitz. I'm your host, along with Asim Gary. Story Matters would like to thank Achieve, Asim's regular podcast, for providing the platform to Story Matters Season 1. Thanks to Jocelyn Salmaran, our extraordinary producer, whose research and journalistic chops make the each episode happen. Solomon Collins, for his editing expertise in making me sound smarter than I actually am. No small feat there. And Kitty Overton, our advising producer and the impetus behind the original Story Matters concept. We'd also like to thank Yasha Hoffman for generously providing the intro-outro music from his song Roots off of the album The Weather, which you can access in its entirety, along with show notes for every episode at our website, storymatters.site. Last one. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Grenowitz. I'm your host, along with Asim Gary. Story Matters would like to thank Achieve, Asim's regular program, for providing the platform to record Story Matters Season 1. Thanks to Jocelyn Solmaran, our extraordinary producer, for her reporting and journalistic chops in making each episode happen. And Solomon Collins for his editing expertise in making me sound smarter than I actually am, which is no small feat. We'd like to thank Kitty Overton, our advising producer, and the impetus behind the original Story Matters concept. And Yasha Hoffman for generously providing the intro-outro music from his song Roots off of the album The Weather, which you can access and hear in its entirety, along with show notes for every episode at storymatters.site. One more time. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Josh Grenowitz. I'm your host, along with Asim Gary. Story Matters would like to thank Achieve, Asim's regular podcast, for providing the platform to season one of Story Matters. Thanks to Jocelyn Salmaran, our extraordinary producer, for journalistic and reporting chops in making each episode happen. We'd like to thank Solomon Collins for his editing expertise and making me sound way smarter than I actually am. And Kitty Overton, the, our advising producer and the impetus behind the original Story Matters concept. We'd also like to thank Yasha Hoffman for his generosity in providing the intro-outro music from the song Roots off of his album The Weather, which you can access in its entirety along with show notes for every episode at our website storymatters.site <laughs>